I'll be reading Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. That will be on page 909 of your pew Bibles. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And and divided tongues as of, of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each each of us in his own native tongue, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and, <laughs> and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phagria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. And we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are all filled with new wine. Please pray with me. Thank you, dear Lord, Heavenly Father for the Holy Spirit which you have sent to indwell us, to convict us of our sin and lead us in our salvation. Thank you for the fact that we are all bound together with all peoples around the world from every tribe, tongue, and nation in the body of Christ. Father, I, I do thank you this morning so much for the, the sun which has appeared after the rain, Lord, we, we know that we could use it. Lord, I ask that you be with Pastor Cody as he, uh, he tries to come up here and rightly divide your word and bring us your word this morning, Father. Father, be with us all. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. We must have the Holy Spirit. To have any hope in these last days between the ascension of Jesus Christ and his second coming. To declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to every tribe, tongue, and nation. We must have the Holy Spirit to have any hope in these last days to see the kingdom of God advance and spread throughout the whole world. We must have the Holy Spirit to have any hope in these last days to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved from the eternal wrath of God for our sin and given eternal life and the blessing of being a child of God. And brothers and sisters, this morning, may I declare to you from his word the good news that the Holy Spirit has come. He is here. 
And if you this morning have placed your trust in Christ alone to be your Savior and have repented of your sin, then you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 6.19. That is, God has made a home in your heart. That is, God has taken up permanent residence as Lord and Master of your life and will do the work in and through you to advance His name. And what a grace is this. The final instruction that Christ gives to His disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And yet, how is that made possible? And it is made possible because Christ sent the Holy Spirit to enable this work through us and by the Holy Spirit, Christ dwelling in us to the end of the age. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 Clearly this morning, I think the scripture tells us, declares to us, the word of God proclaiming this, that the Holy Spirit fills the hearts of believers, empowering the proclamation of the gospel to all peoples. Let me say that one more time. The Holy Spirit fills the hearts of all believers, empowering the proclamation of the gospel to all peoples. And this morning in Acts chapter 2, We see how this takes place. Or the first time it takes place. If you're looking at your Bibles in Acts chapter 2, we are taking on 13 verses this morning. And by way of organization, we're taking the first four verses. I've entitled that The Arrival. And then we get verses 5 through 12, which we'll look at as The Amazed and Astonished. And then finally, the third point. Verse 13, the averse. It may be helpful to you as you look at the passage, at this narrative this morning, to see it in the form of concentric circles. And just pause for a moment and look at the passage. And you can see that verses 1 through 4 is the, is the epicenter, is the very center. This is the in, initial happenings of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The initial people that are impacted by it. The initial response. And then we go out of circle. To 5 through 12. Where we have others that are around. And are impacted. And respond in some of the same ways. And then we have another circle. The most outward of circles there. That we see taking place even in verse 13. Looking first at verses 1 through 4. The arrival. I want you to notice first the timing of the arrival. This is the day of Pentecost, it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Pentecost is a Greek word. It means 50. 50 days following the Passover. Pentecost was a a feast. It celebrated the harvest. And later on in Judaism, 2nd century Judaism actually, Pentecost would be associated not only with the celebration of harvest but also the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, which also happened 50 days after the first Passover. You have this giving of the Holy Spirit 50 days after Passover. 
And the early Jews associated that also with the giving of the law 50 days after the first Passover. Now, is the timing to mirror the giving of the law? It could be. But I don't think that's the main point that's happening here. I think the timing is mainly associated with the event of Pentecost due to the fact that this is the one of the, the greatest celebrations in Judaism where it brought the most people, therefore the biggest impact, into the city of Jerusalem. Pentecost was a celebration that would attract huge amounts of people, very large crowds, that would come from around the known world at that time. Jerusalem was the city, the the central gathering for Jewish worship. There you had the temple. And the grounds surrounding the temple would be enabled to hold as much as many thousands of people, even the throngs that we will see later on in Acts 2 in coming weeks. Notice secondly, not only the time of the arrival, but the place of the arrival. This is Jerusalem. It's not mentioned in the text, but earlier we know that Christ tells them in verse 4 of chapter 1 not to depart from Jerusalem. And though it's not mentioned in Acts 2, I don't think it's something that we can simply skip over. Uh, There's been so much that has happened all the way through the Bible, through the history of God's working with his people that has taken place here. And just by way of a quick overview... This place where the Holy Spirit comes, Jerusalem, is Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him in Genesis 22. And God provided a ram. It is the same place where Solomon built his temple in Second Chronicles chapter 3 verse 1. It would be the same place where Christ, who would be the lamb, was sacrificed outside the gate, according to Hebrews 13. And it is where now the Holy Spirit would be provided. It was where the temple was to be the presence of God with his people. And now the Holy Spirit being provided that we would be the church, the believer, the heart, the temple, the place where God would dwell. Notice finally the description of the arrival. First of all, they were all together. You'll see that in verse 1 of chapter 2. All together in one place. And who is the all? Well, according to verse 15 of chapter 1, we can presume it's about 120. Notice what happens. You might think of, you might be, as you look at the text, just notice the verbs. Verse 2. Suddenly, Mighty rushing wind, rested, filled, speak. This is what took place. Verse 3, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. The New American Standard renders it this way. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. This suddenly happened. That's the way the scriptures say. Now, suddenly to those that were there, but certainly not suddenly to God. This had been planned and foreordained. It happens through this mighty rushing wind. This is a a sign oftentimes through scripture. This wind of God's presence in power. And it's not the wind of John 3. 
but it is a mighty rushing wind. The Greek here implying violent. Uh, Think loud. Hurricane. Something that created in those that were there probably a great sense of fear. That something outside of them was happening that was very uncommon. That was supernatural. John 20 verse 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Much of what is happening here. But not only do you have this rushing wind, you have these divided tongues as of fire. Here, yet again, the language of people being unable to describe the supernatural. But resting upon these people and and another sign yet again of, of the way God always, throughout the Old Testament, showed himself to his people. In fire, you can think he led them by the pillar of fire. He would come down and, and with Elijah and the prophets of Baal and he would take up this sacrifice by fire. And yet here, God filling man. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This presence of God on and in Mankind and yet mankind not being incinerated. And finally in the description of what is happening here. The Holy Spirit. Giving them the ability. To speak. These tongues of fire. Resting as tongues of fire. Resting upon these. Early believers. And now freeing their tongue to speak other languages. Now we must realize that this is certainly the first time the Holy Spirit has moved like this. But we would be amiss to think this is the first time he's moving. No, he's been moving since Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. He is moving throughout scripture. We can think of the early parts of the New Testament. In Luke chapter 1 verse 15, John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Mary, the mother of Christ, would be carrying Jesus, the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joel chapter 2, we'll look at this next week, was this prophecy that the Spirit would come. And yet now the Spirit is here. And it's a new day. It's the the dawning of the church of the living God. The spirit now in every believer and not just on a few select. God dwelling in the heart of the Christian all the way until heaven when we will be in his presence forever. This is one of the reasons why in John's writing of the end times in in Revelation, he tells us in Revelation 21 verse 3 and 22, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. Now there's a bit of warning that must be offered here. 
in these first four verses that simply describe the greatest gift a believer has been given outside of salvation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These men and women in this place, presumably 120, had gone through the school of discipleship taught by Christ himself for three years. And this wasn't enough to testify the gospel to the nations with any power within themselves. They had been with Christ for all this time and yet they did not have the ability within themselves to declare the gospel with power to the nations. The Holy Spirit had to come upon them. What are, what are we to do? What is our hope for any hope of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations with power? Well, first of all, we cannot be those who simply trust our exposure to religion. We cannot be those who trust our exposure to good people. For the Christian, we must be continually about the business of pursuing holiness, pursuing Christ-likeness, pursuing a more authentic relationship with Him. It is His delight to use those who are most oblivious to themselves and most infatuated with Him to extend His glory to others. Let us not trust our knowledge or our learning or our words, but let us be those who are entirely devoted to growing in His grace and love for Him. Those who are devoted to obeying Him in private and in public. And we can be assured that as believers in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, and you did not have this happen. This is a once-in-history event. But He has come. And he has come in this way at this particular time in Acts 2 to be that which is a grace to us as the church. That we can read this and say he has come and in power. And one of the reasons we know this is because the gospel has arrived at FCF. John Calvin puts it this way. The Lord did once give the Holy Ghost under a visible shape that we may assure ourselves that his invisible and hidden grace shall never be wanting to the church. We can know that the Spirit still empowers and equips people to proclaim the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. He is still about that work in and through believers everywhere. Let's see that now in this next section. Looking at verse 5 now. Point number 2, the amazed and astonished. We're moving outward now in this, these concentric circles. And I want you to notice there's a similarity. There's a, a sound, yet again. There are tongues, yet again. And there's a response in speaking as there was in the first section. We find here that there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men, godly men. And that's put there in contrast to what's going to happen in verse 13. Those who were seeking after God. Those who were devoted to God. And we will find out in Acts 2 verse 41 that there were as many that day as about 3,000 that may have been gathered at this time. And what they hear is not the sound of the mighty rushing wind. What they hear is the sound of multiple languages. And they respond by 
speaking. Notice they respond in amazement and astonishment. Verse 7. Is this not the right response for godly people? Is this still not the right response that we should have when we hear of God's work upon others and even in our own lives to be astonished and amazed? To be amazed at the work of God upon the lives of men and women, boys and girls. They were amazed and perplexed, verse 12 tells us. Why? Because all of these languages were being spoken. We've got the list here uh, of in, in verses 8 through verse 11. And it, it's summarizing for us the known world of that time. The, the two great competing empires at that time are, are summarized here. You have the Roman Empire and you have the Parthian Empire. And the only Gentiles' presence are those that are proselytes. That's in verse 11. The Gentiles who had become full converts to Judaism. But the question might be, where does this list come from? And to that we'd have to turn back in our Bibles, and no need to do that, but you turn back to Genesis chapter 11. Where following the flood of Noah, Noah and his descendants come to a time where it is not good. Where they have to gather together, speaking the same language, to advance not the glory of God, to advance not the mighty works of God, but to advance themselves. Let's build a tower. Let's take it to heaven. Let's show the world how mighty and powerful we are. And God comes down and he confuses them and he creates languages. And he disperses these people in their languages throughout the world. And you see here, not a renewal or a coming back together of Genesis 11. Because in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, that's a judgment this gifting of languages there is our giving of languages there is a judgment. Here in Acts chapter 2 is not a judgment at all. It's actually a blessing. They're not coming back in one language. They're still maintaining different languages. But now there is a central unifying message amidst the believers across the languages. And that is salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 9 foretold this to be coming. For at that time I would change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. And then we look forward even yet to the day in heaven. Revelation 7, 9-10. through 10. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with, a palm, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What were they speaking in all these different languages? What were they amazed and perplexed by? Well, they may have been amazed and astonished at the different languages, but they certainly were amazed and perplexed in verse 12 at the telling in their own tongue of the mighty works of God. It's a, a unique thing we see in Genesis 11 where we have this dispersion of the nations in many different tongues, and yet in Genesis 12, 
We have the promise that through Abraham, he would be a blessing to all nations. And here Christ, in the giving of the Holy Spirit, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the Jews, happening in Acts 2, is being a blessing to all the nations. Christ, the central character of the book of Acts, the central message, the resurrection of the Son of God, the central idea, the central work of God. We can be assured that the Spirit delights to empower the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ even today. This should, this should create in us a desire to be about missions, to, to pray for missionaries, to send missionaries, to give to missionaries, to support missionaries. This should create in us a desire to, to know that as we give ourselves to the proclamation of the word of God, to those that are around us, the Spirit delights to empower that, to reach other peoples. And yet, are you amazed when he does reach someone? Do you, do you find yourself growing a bit cold when you hear of someone who has had the gospel shared with them and maybe didn't respond or did? Is it ho-hum to you? Well, let me encourage you that to grow yet again amazed at the work of the Holy Spirit that being a right response even for us today, you might begin by just simply asking people to share what God has done in their life and is even doing in their lives now. Be prepared. Are you you aware of what God is doing in your life? I think sometimes it's so easy for us to, to be praying and thinking and worrying and fretting about what God, we want God to do in our lives going forward, that we fail to remember what he's doing now and what he's done in the past. And be prepared and enabled even to share that, to help those and encourage those around us to be amazed at what God is doing in and through us by the power of his spirit. And even as we reflect upon what he is doing, we grow in that amazement yet afresh. Last section, last circle, if you will, verse 13 the adverse, those in opposition. But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Others mocking said they are simply drunk. This is the first time that we see in the Gospel of Acts opposition to the witness to Jesus Christ. And it's the first of many that will come. Really, you have here in 5 through 12, in contrast with 13, a tale of two groups of people, if you will. A, a, a tale of two responses to the same event. Thomas Chalkley was a Quaker minister in the 16 and 1700s. And you may have heard this phrase and it's attributed to him. He says this, There are none so blind as those who will not see. The most deluded people are those who choose to ignore what they already know. Well, we could add to that and say that those in verse 13 are seeing with their physical eyes, hearing with their physical ears, all that is taking place around them, all that is going on in this great event, and yet they are blind, blind spiritually. 
deaf spiritually to see and hear what is happening. How can one go from blind and deaf to being able to hear and being able to see? How can one be saved from their sin? How can one go from mocking the work of Jesus Christ? How can one go from opposing the advancement of the gospel to being one who participates in and delights in that? Surely Paul, the Apostle Paul coming up in Acts, asked the same question. Because was not he the tip of the spear when it came to opposing the advance of the gospel? Was he not the one who fought hard against, even persecuted the early church? And I think he would tell you the same thing that I would tell you this morning. And that is the same thing that Christ has already told us. And that is, you must be born again by the Spirit. That is, God must extend His grace to you while in your sin and rebellion against Him and have the Holy Spirit change your heart from one that hates God toward one that loves God and sees Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We were all like that. And yet, what is it? And how hard is it when our friend, our close family member that we desperately want to see come to Jesus Christ opposes us, maybe even mocks us? How are we to respond? Well, we are to respond with the same grace that Christ responded to us with. We simply go back to them in humility and we, by the Holy Spirit filling our hearts, empowering us, we proclaim the gospel to them. We simply tell them of, about, about God the Father, the perfect Father. We, we simply tell them about how He created man. We simply tell them about the fall of, of that man and woman into sin. And the resulting hopelessness that, that they have, that we once had. We simply tell them about the perfect man. The one born, only one born in perfection. The, the son, Jesus Christ, the son of God. We simply tell them about the life that he lived. About the unjust death that he took. About the time upon the cross. About his death. But we also tell them about the miracle of all miracles, that on the third day he was raised from the dead. Conquering sin, defeating death, and he extends that work to those who will trust in his name and repent of their sins. That's all we have to tell them. We can't convince them with any sort of passion. We, we can't argue their way into heaven. We can't, we can't rub up against them enough that somehow by osmosis they will get this. No. This is a work of the Spirit. And so we, by those who, those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit because of the work Christ has done in us to see these things, to see the beauty of the gospel, we simply tell them what happened. And we are those who can then pray. We back that proclamation up with prayer. And yet we rejoice to know that God can and often moves suddenly upon the hardest of hearts. That those maybe 
that we love the most and yet seem most hard-hearted to God may go down that road one day and yet be met by the most blinding of truths. That Jesus Christ has died for them. Is that not what happened to Paul? He didn't warm his way to the gospel. He didn't plan his way into this. No, God suddenly moved upon the hardest of hearts. And he even does that now, praise the Lord. He's done that upon my heart. And I trust and pray he's done it upon your heart. And if you here this morning find and wonder if... I, I don't think he's done it upon my heart. Maybe I've thought all these years that he did and he's not. There's no fruit. Well then let me assure you this morning. Repent and believe. Trust in him. Salvation is available. To those who repent and believe. It's the question that will soon be asked in Acts chapter 2. What do we do? Repent and believe. And that is still the answer for even us today who may wonder. Repent and believe. And for even us who are saved as we fight against our sin. We continue to be those who repent and realize. Continue to walk in the belief that has been made clear to us. That Jesus Christ has saved us from our sin. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the Holy Spirit. So much could be said about the implications of what it means to be an indwelt believer in Jesus Christ. Trust we'll have time to do that in the coming weeks, but even this morning we pause and reflect and delight in knowing that God dwells in us. That the Holy Spirit, just as much as that day on Pentecost, delights to empower the proclamation of his word. What a joy it is to pray this morning for other languages. What a joy it is to pray for missionaries, those who have been given the gift of being able to learn languages quickly, speak them well. What a joy it is to know that as we, by your amazing grace, seek to walk in obedience to your command to go and make disciples in all nations. As we fight our fear of man, as we fight our pride and we go and talk to that neighbor, that loved one, that enemy, that the Holy Spirit delights to empower this work, a supernatural work, that as we declare the mighty works of Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to know that we have the the blessing and benefit of being able to see the supernatural work of hearts transformed. Of, Of hearts removed of stone and replaced with flesh. Father, we rejoice to know That as the church today, 2,000 plus years removed from this occurrence and event, that the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts 
and is working even now still until that day when Christ returns to advance his name. And we get to be a part of this work. May we be faithful to it this week. In the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.